Well, tonight we're going to be finishing the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, and uh, it's been a good journey through the book. I hope that you've uh, been reading with us. Next Sunday night, Lord willing, we'll be starting introducing to you the book of James. Uh, And with that in mind, let me remind you, uh, we have these reading guides out now that you can pick one up if you haven't already, uh, and start reading with me uh, tomorrow through the book of James. I just want to echo what Chris has said before we get into the study. And uh, just so grateful for Mount Airy, so grateful for <clears throat> your heart and your passion, your willingness to serve, and just to hear so many stories of what you are doing, not what we're doing, what you're doing. Uh, it's just, it really is amazing. Then I got that email, as Chris was talking about, text, whatever it was, uh, about the, the guy in, in Cleveland, the hotel worker. And I was so blessed by that because I've, I've been there on more than one occasion where our people just intentionally try to develop relationships with the hotel workers. We go back to the same hotel uh, year after year, trip after trip, going back to the same hotel. So they start to recognize us, and we know them, and we know them by name, and, and we pray with them in the hallways or outside the building, different places, and uh, it really does make a difference. And I was so encouraged to hear that this young man uh, showed up at Tony's church today, so so that's awesome. I want to ask you to pray with me as we uh, start to launch out into this study. As we finish the book of Mark, would you join me as we pray together? <clears throat> Father, tonight we want to pause because I recognize that this is indeed uh, a holy week that we will be looking at in the text. That this is something that is we don't want to take lightly. We don't want to just breeze through it. And, and so I just want to pause and ask that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would teach us your holy word. And you would help us to better understand the weak that changed the world. Thank you for scripture. Thank you that your word endures and your word is true and your word is relevant and your word speaks to us. And we just ask that you do it again tonight. Speak to us by your spirit and through your word. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Have your Bibles already open? I hope you do. If not, open them to Mark chapter 11. And tonight we, we begin the final section in the book of Mark. We basically broke it down for you previously. But let me remind you that basically you can take Mark and break it into three different sections. <clears throat> Chapters 1 through 9 talks about the Galilean ministry of Jesus in the northern part of Israel. Chapter 10 talks about his journey from Galilee down to Jerusalem. And chapter 11 talks about uh, his time there in Jerusalem, his his final week, if you will, the final week of his life in Jerusalem. Now, I've made this timeline, if you guys put that up there. I've made this timeline that I want you to see. You've heard me say this before, but I thought it would be good to have a visual reference for you. To help you understand the, the chapters of Mark and what they cover. So when you're looking at chapters 1 through 10, that's talking about essentially 33 years of the Lord's life. So Mark is telling us the story of Jesus and he takes 10 chapters to, to tell us the life and ministry of Jesus over a period of 33 years. And then you come to the, the last six chapters and that's dealing with one week of his life. 
So just by looking at that graphic, it should show you that something very significant happened in that final week. In fact, uh, if you look at all the Gospels, they all spend uh, four, five, six chapters on the final week of Jesus. Every Gospel takes a, a, a significant chunk of their Gospel to talk about the last seven days of our Lord's life. And so just looking at that graphic, here's what we're going to be looking at tonight. Chapters 11 through 16, or one week in the life of Jesus. Now leave that up there for a moment, because I've told you before that the key verse in Mark chapter, or in, in the Gospel of Mark, is Mark 10, 45. You don't need to turn there unless you just want to mark it. But this is the key verse of the entire book. It says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. I tell you what, go ahead and, go ahead and find that verse, because I want to show you something on that verse. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Here's the key verse of the entire book. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. It occurred to me this week, as I was, as I was looking at that verse again, it occurred to me that really chapters 1 through 10 deal with the first part of that verse, that the Son of Man came to, not to be served, but to serve. That's the first 10 chapters of the book. And then chapters 11 through 16 deal with the second part of that verse, to give his life a ransom for many. So that verse summarizes the entire book, and you can break it down uh, according to the chapters that we've just looked at. Now, before we get into the actual text, I, I want to read just verse one of chapter 11, and then I want to try to help clarify something for you, and then we're going to jump into the text. It says in chapter 11, verse 1, now again, this is a, the final section in the book of Mark. Chapter 11, verse 1 begins this way, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and, you, and just as you enter, you'll see a, uh, find a colt there, which no one has ever written, untie it, and bring it here. <clears throat> now, if you were reading just through the, the Gospel of Mark, and, and you had not read Matthew or Luke or John, if you were just reading the Gospel of Mark, as you're reading the Gospel of Mark, and you came to this point in the text, chapter 11, verse 1, you would get the idea that this was the first time that Jesus had ever been to Jerusalem. There's no other reference to that in the Gospel of Mark. It appears if you were just reading the book of Mark, that this was his first time in Jerusalem. But you need to understand something about the Gospels. The Gospels are selective stories of the life of Jesus. They're not, ex they're not an exhaustive biography of the life of Jesus. I mean, how could, you, how could you ever possibly write down everything that Jesus did and everywhere that Jesus went? And so when the Gospel writers were writing their stories, their Gospels, uh, their stories of Jesus, they were selective in what they wrote. And so Mark focuses on the Galilean ministry of Jesus primarily. And then the final week of Jesus in Jerusalem. So I just want you to understand that when he comes into Jerusalem in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, when he arrives in Jerusalem, this is not the first time he's been in Jerusalem. Let me give you a few references if you're taking notes. For example, Luke 2.41 tells us that Jesus went to the temple in Jerusalem as a 12-year-old. A 12-year-old boy who went to Jerusalem. John 5, verse 1 says that Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews, John 5, 1. John 7, 14 says that Jesus was teaching in the temple courts. John 11, 
uh, talks about Jesus, that he had a special relationship with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, that they were very close friends. That would, in, that would imply that he had been with them on many occasions if he had this special close relationship. In fact, it says in chapter 11, verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So apparently they spent time together. Now, the reason that's important is because in chapter 11, verse 18 of John, it says Bethany, that's where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. So apparently he went to Bethany quite often. Apparently he visited in their home quite often. He loved those three people. He knew those three people well. And oh, by the way, John says, Bethany is less than two miles away from Jerusalem. Now, I'll give you a reference point on that because we're going to talk about Bethany again in a moment. <clears throat> I looked it up, and from Mount Airy Baptist Church to, to Cain's Corner, it's 1.8 miles, according to Google Maps. One, less than two miles. So that's the reference point. It says that Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. So Bethany was about as far away from Jerusalem as our church is to Cain's Corner. So, if Jesus hung out at Bethany a lot, stand to reason he probably oftentimes went on over to Jerusalem. And in fact, the last reference I'll give you is this. <clears throat> John 11, verse 7 and 8 says this. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Back would imply you've been there before. Let us go back to Judea. And here's what they said. But Rabbi, they said, a short time ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going back there? And so Jesus indeed, though he spent a lot of his time focused on Galilee, he, he spent a considerable amount of time in Judea and in Jerusalem especially. I will just say it this way. Jesus was well known in Jerusalem. Now, why did I spend so much time on that? Because when you come to chapter 11... Chapter 11 begins what's known as Passion Week. It's also called Holy Week. Passion Week is the time from Palm Sunday through Easter Sunday, or Palm Sunday to Resurrection Sunday. That's, that's called Passion Week. Uh, let me give you some references here. You might want to write this down. Passion Week is described in, in Matthew 21 through 27. Matthew 21 through 27. It's described in Mark, chapters 11 through through 16, it's described in Luke chapters 19 through 23, and it's described in John chapters 12 through 19. So, it's an important time that we're going to be studying about, that last week, Passion Week. Now, why was it called Passion Week? What, what is that name signifying? Well, when you hear the word passion, you usually think of strong emotion or intense love, but the Latin passio originally meant to endure suffering. So this is the week where Jesus, Passion Week, it, it's the week where Jesus experienced strong emotion and suffering as he died on the cross. Passion Week is that week where Jesus willingly walked to the cross to experience our pain and our suffering. So that's what it's, why it's called that. <clears throat> now, here's what I want to do. All that's kind of setting the stage. I want to study Passion Week day by day. Talk about one week in the life of Jesus, so I want to talk about it day by day. And here's what I've done in my study Bible. I haven't done it in my preaching Bible, but I have in my study Bible. Uh, I've written in the days in the column of my Bible. 
So that as I go through those chapters, I, oh, that was on Monday. Oh, that happened on Tuesday, etc. So you might want to at least take notes about what happened day by day and maybe even to write those days in the column of your Bible as we go through it, okay? All right, so here we go. Let's talk about Sunday. If you go ahead and put that first picture up, if you would, please. This is Jerusalem. If you go to Jerusalem today, uh, this is what it looks like, and the picture was taken from the Mount of Olives. In fact, the road that these people are walking down is said to be the road that Jesus went down as he went down the Mount of Olives going into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. With that picture in mind, listen to this. In fact, you might want to just look at the picture and I can read the text to you. As they approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. And Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. And tie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell him, the Lord needs it, and, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found the colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway, and they untied it. And some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? And they answered as Jesus told them to, and the people let them go. And when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Now, listen to this. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Looking at that picture, Jerusalem would have been packed with tourists. This is one of the Jewish feasts that if you were a male, you were required to attend. And it would have been absolutely packed with people. The Torah required every able-bodied Jewish male to attend the Passover feast. So this would have been a crowded, crowded city. Then Jesus comes as he arrives in Jerusalem. Remember now, this is not his first trip into Jerusalem. So why all of a sudden? Here's the thing that intrigues me, and I really don't have the answer for it. I'm, I'm just trying to get you to think about it a little bit. If he's been to Jerusalem many times, and yes, he was very popular. He was popular wherever he went. He was well known wherever he went. But my question is this. Why at this time? This time as he entered Jerusalem, why was it different? Why was it this time that when he entered Jerusalem, there was essentially a parade? People were shouting for his praises and they were waving palm branches and laying their coats on the road. What was it as he went down this road from the Mount of Olives, heading into that city, what was it that caused the people to do what they did? The only answer I've come up with so far, I've come up with so far is this was a direct fulfillment of prophecy. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, prophesied that he would come, that the Messiah, when the Messiah came, when the anointed one came, 
when God's special anointed one was sent, that he would arrive on a colt coming into the city. And that's exactly what happened. This was a messianic moment. Don't miss this. This was not just an ordinary trip into Jerusalem. He had done that before. He had walked into Jerusalem before. Maybe he had even ridden into Jerusalem. I don't know. But this was a messianic moment where Jesus was declaring that he was the fulfillment of prophecy that Zechariah had made 400 years before. And then, what they were saying was also a fulfillment of Scripture. They were saying, Hosanna. The word Hosanna means save now. That was a fulfillment of, or straight out of Scripture, Psalm 118, verse 25. Psalm 118, verse 25. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Psalm 118, verse 26. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. All of this was straight out of Scripture. God was at work. And what had been planned from eternity past was now unfolding as this final week began to open. And here for the first time, Jesus presented himself as the long-awaited king. This was his way of announcing that he was indeed the long-awaited Messiah. Now, now you remember, I think it was on the very first night as we've studied Mark, we, we told you that as you read Mark, look for the messianic secret. And that is, Jesus kept telling people, don't tell anybody. I know that I've healed you, but don't, shh, let's keep this between us. And all through the book, you've seen that, haven't you? This messianic secret that don't tell anybody what I've done. Don't tell, I, I want to keep this on the low. That we, All through the book, we've seen that. Now, now it's different. Now there's not a messianic secret. Now there is a messianic moment where Jesus says, yes, I am the Messiah. He declares, yes, I am the sent one, the long-awaited Messiah. But here's the problem. The crowds correctly saw Jesus as the fulfillment of those prophecies, but they didn't understand what it would mean that he would be their Messiah. They were excited, they were celebrating, and one of the things they were saying was, save now. You know what they were talking about? Save us from the Romans. That was their concept of a Messiah. That was their concept of a deliverer. Save us from the Romans is really what they had in mind. They expected that Jesus would save them from the Romans and restore the nation of Israel to its former glory. Now listen, when it became apparent a few days later that he would not, when it became apparent a few days later that he was not the kind of Messiah they were anticipating, they changed their hosannas to crucify him. Amazing. Just in a period of a few days, the crowd went from Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, to crucify him. So, that was Sunday, Palm Sunday. Jesus basically entered into Jerusalem, and then he, it says that he went to the temple, and where you see the dome, that's the dome of the rock, that's not the temple. But that's where the temple used to stand. And Jesus went to that area and he went into the temple and it said he just looked around. I, I would really like to know what he was thinking about as he looked around. Lots of different possibilities there. And then it says that he went 
he went out, Verse, uh, look in your text, verse 11. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now let me tell you where Bethany was. Go to the next picture. This is the Mount of Olives. So the picture that you saw a moment ago was taken from this place. So basically, if you look up here, you have Jerusalem on one hill. Watch my hands. You have Jerusalem up on one hill. There's a, a valley, and then you go back up to the Mount of Olives. It's the Kidron Valley between the two. So you have Jerusalem on the mountain, you have a Kidron Valley, and then you have the Mount of Olives. And, and so basically, if you're standing on the Mount of Olives, you've got a beautiful view of Jerusalem. Or if you're standing on, on, in, on the, the Mount of Jerusalem, you've got a beautiful view of the Mount of Olives. Does that make sense? I'm tell you where Bethany was. Bethany was just on the other side of the hill. So it was an easy journey to go from Jerusalem down the valley, up the Mount of Olives, on the other side of the hill, over to Bethany, to the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. All right? Now, so let's talk about Monday. We talked about Sunday. Sunday is verses 1 through 11. Monday, Jesus cleared the temple. Remember, on Sunday, he went in and looked at it. On Monday, he came back and he cleaned house. Now, this is interesting. Follow carefully. Uh, beginning in verse 12, the next day, which would be Monday, the next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig, tr a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Kind of a strange thing, isn't it? It's like, okay, he's hungry, he wants something to eat, and there's nothing there, it's just a bunch of leaves, there's no fruit, and then he, he curses the fig tree. I don't mean that he curses at it, but he curses the fig tree. He says, nobody's ever going to eat fruit from you again. Now let's just file that away and, and go back to the text. Verse 15, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the temples of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves, and he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. <clears throat> now, stop there for just a moment. I want you to get in your mind the picture, and I just now realize I should have put up a picture for you to look at, but just to try to picture when they're talking about Jesus went into the temple area and he was casting out the money changers, he was not talking about the temple building. They were not allowed to be selling there, but it was the temple court area is where they were selling. And they were, they were selling the kind of things that you would use when you went to the temple to offer your sacrifices and that kind of thing. So, <clears throat> so let's pick up verse uh, 17. As he taught them, he said... Is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. Part of the reason he was so upset was not just that they were selling things in the temple court area. Part of the reason he was upset was because he, they were robbing the people. They were, they were selling what they needed to use at the temple services, but they were selling it at such high prices. He said, you're robbing the people. You're taking this holy place and this holy event, and you're turning it into something to make a, a lot of money. Just a bunch of robbers. Keep reading verse 18. The chief priests and teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way 
Watch this. Looking for a way to do what? Kill him. But they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, they went out of, out of the city. Now, <clears throat> Mark is going to connect the two things we just read about. The cursing of the fig tree and the cleansing of the temple. Both are meant to be pictures of divine judgment. Divine judgment on the apostasy of Israel. Jesus did not curse the fig tree because he was angry at not getting any food. It was actually an acted out parable. It was a, it was a teaching moment. Remember what Mark said, and the disciples saw this. This was a teaching moment. Jesus was showing his anger at religion without substance. You see, the fig tree represented Israel. All leaves, but no fruit. And just as the fig tree looked good from a distance but was fruitless upon close examination, so the temple also was impressive at first glance. But its sacrifices and other activities were empty and meaningless. So this was actually a judgment time connecting those two events. And one of the reasons we know that is because the next verse, verse 20, which, by the way, if you're writing in, in the comma of your Bible, verse 20 is the next day, which is Tuesday. Let's see what happened on Tuesday, and I think all this will come together for you. <clears throat> in the morning, that is the next day on Tuesday, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourselves into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, believes what he says will happen, it, it'll be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, not that you will receive it, but that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. The fig tree is withered. The fig tree is dying or has died. It was a picture of Israel. And then to show you that this is a picture of Israel, Mark follows this with a series of six conflict stories between Jesus and the religious leaders. We don't have the time to read very much of them if at all, but in fact, I don't think we're going to have time to read any of them, but the rest of chapter 11 through chapter 12, verse 40, are six different times when the religious leaders are in conflict with Jesus. The religious leaders, those who should know who he is, those who should be leading the nation are in conflict with Jesus. The fig tree has withered. Fig tree is all leaves, no fruit. So that's Tuesday. Tuesday, there's a busy day. There's a lot happening on Tuesday. There is in chapter 13, if you'll turn over to chapter 13, I want to make sure we don't run out of time, so I'm going to move on. Chapter 13 is called the Olivet Discourse. Olivet Discourse. Let's look at it, chapter 13, verse 1. As he was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings? replied Jesus. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Now, look at verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, 
Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, right here, that's the Mount of Olives. That's where he was somewhere on that mountain. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, overlooking Jerusalem. Go back to the Jerusalem picture if you can. He was sitting here on the Mount of Olives, overlooking Jerusalem. And the disciples said, I, I heard what you said. I heard what you, we heard what you said about the temple and all of that. When's that going to happen? What's gonna, there it is. So, so they're sitting here on the Mount of Olives, and they've got this primarily as a view, of course not in the modern buildings, but this was their view. And they're looking at the temple that, that used to stand there, and they said, tell us, when is this going to happen? What's going to be the sign? Now, let me tell you something about the temple. Write this down real quickly. We, I don't want to run out of time, but I want to give you some information that's important. The first temple was built by King Solomon on the Temple Mount, right where you see that gold dome. That was essentially where the first temple was built. It was built in the 10th century B.C. 10th century B.C. by King Solomon. That temple was, was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. 586 B.C. It was absolutely destroyed. Then a second temple was built in 516, about 70 years later, after the captivity, after the Babylonian captivity, people of God came back, and a second temple was built, 516 B.C., and this is the temple we're reading about in Mark chapter 13. Listen to this. That temple, the one that was there, when, which was actually the second temple that was built, that temple, the one that Jesus saw and his disciples saw, that temple had stood there, for over 500 years. That's a long time. Let me tell you one other thing about that temple. Before Jesus was born, about 15 years before he was born, King Herod decided to renovate and expand the temple, the second temple. King Herod wanted it to be a magnificent-looking structure, so he, he renovated the temple and expanded the Temple Mount area. In fact, I read something recently that said the Temple Mount area would be the equivalent of 29 football fields. It's a huge area. Magnificent-looking area. It was a <clears throat> in fact, th that building project, though it started in, in 20 B.C., the, uh, the renovation rather, though it started in 20 B.C., it was not finished until 64 A.D. So about 80 years roughly, you know, they were working on, on renovating and expanding the temple area. And according to the, to the historian Josephus, the stones of the temple area were white, as you might imagine, magnificent looking. And he said, this is Josephus, a Jewish historian writing for Rome. He said some of the foundation stones were, watch this, 37 feet long, 12 feet high, and 18 feet wide. Now, <clears throat> I actually did this last night. I, I don't mean I did the Bible study last night. I actually came up here last night with a tape measure. I thought, how, how, how wide is this? He said, Josephus, the Jewish Roman historian said, or the Jewish historian writing for Rome, he said, 
Again, some of the foundation stones were 37 feet long. So I came up here last night with my tape measure, and I married. Uh, married. I measured. I measured the the stage from here all the way across. This stage is 30 feet long. So Josephus said some of the foundation stones for the temple area would have been wider than this stage is. And, and then I, well, I thought, well, what about this piano? Well, guess what? It's seven feet wide. So from that side of the piano well all the way over to, to here, that's how wide some of the foundation stones are. That's massive. How high were they? Twelve feet. You know how high twelve feet is, just to give you a point of reference? You see this frame right over here? You wonder what I do on Saturday nights, now you know. <clears throat> this frame is actually 13 and a half feet from stage floor. 13 and a half feet. So almost as high as the top of that frame. Go down a block or so, and, and that's how high 12 feet. <clears throat> and then they said this, this 37 feet wide, 12 feet high, 18 feet deep. 18 feet is from that back wall to right here. So in other words, some of the foundation stones would not fit on this stage. Does that blow anybody's mind? Do you see why? Now, not all of the ones above that were that big, but they were huge. Just the regular stones were huge. Uh, some of the smaller stones weighed between two to five tons. And, and in fact, if you go with me to Jerusalem today, you can go under the wall and you'll see a stone. I've seen it. Others of you have as well. There's still a stone under the, under the ground there, a foundation stone that is 44 feet long, 15 feet thick, and 10 feet high. And it's estimated to weigh 570 tons. How in the world they moved these stones, we have no idea. Oh, by the way, they didn't even use cement. They just, the stones were so, ha so heavy, they just stacked them on top of one another. How they stacked them, I don't know. But they're so heavy, once you get them up there, it ain't going anywhere. You think cement's going to hold that there? <laughs> now, I spent all that time to help you, help you see what Jesus said here. As he was leaving the temple, one of the disciples said to him, chapter 13, verse 1, Look, teacher, what massive stones. Now you know what they're talking about. What, what magnificent buildings. Jesus said, do you see all these great buildings? Replied Jesus. And then watch this. Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Can you imagine their jaw just dropping when he said that? And so when they get to the Mount of Olives, and they're sitting down, it says Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives looking at the city. The disciples came to him and said, When's that going to happen? What's, what's the sign that that's going to happen? And I'm about to run out of time, so I've just got to summarize. The, the Olivet Discourse, Jesus tells them when Jerusalem will be destroyed. He doesn't give them a date, but he tells them what it's going to be like. But he also tells them something else, something very interesting. He, he uses that to bridge into not only is this city going to be destroyed, but there's coming a day when the world will be destroyed. And so he talks about the Great Tribulation and and the end times in the Olivet Discourse. <clears throat> By the way, the disciples lived to see the destruction of the temple. 
It occurred in AD 70, which no doubt gave them confidence that everything else that Jesus had said that day was going to come to, to pass as well. Real quickly, I'm just going to have to run through the rest of this. Wednesday, somewhere if you're marking this in your notes or, or in your Bible, put down Wednesday as a silent day. And what I mean by that is Wednesday is not mentioned in the Gospels. We don't know what Jesus did on Wednesday. It was a silent day. Personally, I believe that chapter 14, verses 1 through 11, could be what he did on Wednesday on the silent day. That may be when uh, the day when, uh, while he was in Bethany, he spent the day perhaps in Bethany, and while he was there, there perhaps would be the time when, uh, when the lady anointed him for his burial with the expensive perfume. Thursday, let me go on. Thursday was a big day and night, of course. Thursday, would, beginning in, in chapter 14, verse 12, if you want to write that down as Thursday. Thursday, of course, would be the time where the Lord's Supper occurred in the upper room, Gethsemane. Jesus was arrested. He appeared before the Sanhedrin. And Peter disowned that he knew Jesus. And, and the, the, it ends this way in chapter 14, verse 72, heartbreaking words. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you'll disown me three times. And he broke down and he wept. And that's how Thursday ends. Then we go to Friday. Friday, Jesus appears before Pilate because uh, he, remember now, he was arrested on Thursday night. Friday, early Friday morning, he appears before Pilate, who was the Roman governor. On Friday, the soldiers beat him, mocked him. On Friday, he was crucified. And, of course, on Friday, he died. And if you look in chapter uh, 15, verse 39, it's just one of those verses that, that you need to be aware of. <clears throat> it says, well, let's start in verse 37. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bar bottom. And when the centurion, the Roman soldier, who stood there in front of Jesus, heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. Man. Uh, I wish we had time to talk about that, but I just wanted you to take note of it. And of course, on Friday was the burial of Jesus, verses 42 through 47. On Saturday, which is interesting, this, this is kind of intriguing. On Saturday, Saturday Jesus laid in the tomb. Saturday is Shabbat, Sabbath, the day of rest. So on Saturday, Jesus laid in the tomb. On Sunday, Sunday is Resurrection Day, chapter 16. You know all about this. We won't say a whole lot because we're coming up to Easter. Uh, but Sunday is Resurrection Day, and I'm out of time. Okay, so let me just close with this question. What happened to Mark? What happened to Mark? You know, we, we, we talked about who John Mark was and all that he did, but what happened to him? It's interesting that if you read church history, Eusebius, Eusebius, who is a church historian, he stated that Mark was sent to Alexandria, Egypt, where he proclaimed the gospel. And he was the first to establish 
the church, the Christian church in Alexandria, Egypt. And he established several churches in Alexandria, Egypt. And Mark remained the leader of the Alexandrian church there until his death. My son was just recently in Egypt. He, he was doing this tour thing, I won't get into that, but he was in Egypt, he was in Alexandria. He didn't know we were studying the Gospel of Mark, and he told me the other night, he said, you know, when I was in Alexandria, all the Coptic churches, everywhere, they celebrate and recognize Mark because they believe he brought the Gospel to Egypt. And he started the first church in Alexandria. Folks, this is not fairy tale stuff. This is history. This is real. This is God at work in the life of a man named Mark. So thank you for joining us on this journey. And I look forward to opening the book of James with you, Lord willing, next Sunday night. Father, in Jesus' name, we're grateful for the good news of Jesus Christ, who truly was the Son of God. And it's in His name I pray. Amen.